0: Hello listeners and welcome back to Triathlon Science. Today's podcast is brought to you by Tri Mechanics Coaching as well as Black Cat Coffee. So if you are in need of some coffee for your daily caffeine gig or you fancy something maybe a little fancier, something a bit fruity for a nice filter, you're getting into something like a V60 or potentially using something like the Clever Dripper to give you a full-bodied but also well-flavoured, well-rounded cup of coffee, then Black Cat Coffee has you covered. If you have a look on their website, uh, the link is in the show notes, you'll find there's a range of different coffees that are suited to different purposes. So whether it's something like the chocolate point blend, which is not only very good through milk, but also can be really good um, as an espresso. Um, give that a try, or maybe looking into something, say, if you're getting into potentially the more delicate flavours, something a bit fruitier. There is the the honey processed bourbon, uh, the Colombian red bourbon on there at the moment that is just phenomenal. It's had a certain level by the honey process. It means it's had a a certain level of fermentation, but it also tends to bring in some more sweetness. So if you put that through as something like a filter or a V60 or even as the espresso base to a milk drink, particularly if you're not using too much milk, so something like a, a short flat white, you'll get that really fruity but also slightly boozy kick that you can get through these coffees. It's well worth exploring the different elements that you can get from coffees. So if there's something that's relatively new to you, check it out on there. But you can also get the, the methods to make them. So there's an often a misconception with coffee that you have to have a £1,000 espresso machine, a fantastic grinder and all these other elements to make great coffee, whereas actually some of the best coffee is actually filter. Or What I found is that the slow... Uh, filtering of water down through the coffee that you get through something like a V60 provides a real clarity of flavour and can be a real kind of treat in the morning particularly. So those are our sponsors for today. Today's episode is all about or it's focused on um, our guest today. And our guest today is Dave Triska. Dave Triska is someone I came across via Twitter. He is a GP who not only is a GP, is also... Uh, being or has been a fantastic source of information throughout the whole pandemic. He's also a fantastic bike rider and particularly a time trialist. So today's episode, we actually spoke to Dave about where the idea was we were going to focus on what you can do or what Dave can do in particular now that we may face a race season that may or may not happen, a race season that will certainly not look the way it normally does, which is almost weekend or weekend-on-weekend racing from March to September, which is what a lot of time trialists are looking at, because obviously we're potentially going to be going still within the lockdown period. But even then, as me and Dave discussed during the podcast, it may be a situation where someone like Dave, who believes that um, it is potentially best, or we we both believe that it is best to potentially stay away from any kind of crowds, or particularly when you're exercising, I don't see a lot of people potentially returning to a kind of race-based Season or mass participation events for maybe even the whole of this year. So, we discuss what ideas you could come up with to potentially shift the focus. We end up deciding around potentially focusing on um, Swift Racing as an idea or a method of identifying a weakness um, and then spending your. Uh, maybe a couple of months addressing that weakness, not only to see whether that has benefits in the long run, but also whether it gives you a short-term target and basically something to do in this season of potentially non-seasons. At the end of the episode, I will go through the races that I asked Dave to have a look at. Um, And what we're going to do then is we're going to um, hopefully get Dave to do those races over the next month or so revisit the topic again in a month um, having a look at to see how he performs in those races trying to identify some of those limiters and that'll again focus on how we can use things like Swift racing just as an example there are other racing platforms available there are other methods but using it as a way of um, trying to measure those uh, particularly performance durations such as 15 second sprinting effort minute effort five-minute effort, potentially 20-minute effort to identify physiological weakness as something you might want to look at to potentially uh, work on in this kind of time period where we don't know whether we're going to be going into a season. So at the end of the episode, what I'll do is I'll summarise what we've kind of talked about, what we talked about during um, this interview, and then I'll give the races out that I gave to Dave. And what i like people to do is potentially, if, you're, if you want to, have a go at those races And then feedback the information to me, because actually what would be quite nice would be in that episode that me and Dave discuss his is we're not only discussing his. We may potentially have somebody else's to look at, potentially someone who's physiologically different. That's just potentially an idea or you can just essentially kind of play along with these ideas as you're as we're doing these podcasts, as we're kind of uh, as you're listening to them. to to think about these ideas for your own training. So we're going to get into the interview now, and then as I say at the end, I'll cut back out again and I will put up the races that I recommended to Dave that I told him uh, to do after we we spoke on the call, Um, and then we will go from there. Thank you very much for listening, and here is the interview. So we've got Dave today, who is our cyclist that we're going to chat to about, particularly about um, what you might do with this, with everything that's going on at the moment with the pandemic, and what you might do when your kind of season has been potentially taken away, um, what how it might change your training, and what you might how you might fit in that kind of training around a busy job. So, Dave, if you could kind of just give an introduction about who you are um, and that side of things. Oh, hi Tom. So, uh,
1: my name's Dave Trisker. I'm a, a working general practitioner and uh, a bike racer. So, I normally race time trials for a, a team called Aero Coach, who you might know from their uh, aerodynamics work and wheel sets and so on. Uh, so in, in a normal year, my life would revolve around fitting, uh, racing every other weekend at least in with a job working 12 hours per day. Um, this year has been particularly challenging to say the least, not least because of the the extra pressures that a pandemic has brought to, to my profession. Uh, I'm sure many people are in the same predicament, um, but also with the restrictions on a where you can go, how long you can train for, the times of day that you can train because of working patterns and childcare and so on. Um, and really, it's trying to to make sense now about how does what's turning out to be essentially the world's longest off-season with sort of sporadic events that happen uh, into something productive for that keeps you motivated and also engaged with something outside of the, um, the doom scrolling that would otherwise take over all our lives.
0: Yeah I think I think it's, it's it's interesting obviously with what you do. I think there's sometimes a a misconception um that if you have a job like what you do that you you couldn't particularly if you've got a family that you might not be able to fit in doing the kind of training that you'd need to do to um to do a sport. But I often find I mean me personally that you, I think it's you need something particularly you know on the weekends and things to as a kind of release away from that something to, to kind of clear your head um and I think I've always found personally that training has been a really good way of as you say gaining away from feeling well feeling a little bit overwhelmed by everything um but a way of releasing that that kind of pent-up stress that I think you you accumulate when you do anything like what you do
1: it's absolutely the case before coming back into the NHS I spent 10 years in the army so training and physical exercise was just normal part of the job really and the reason why it's so important i I think as you allude to is it, it gives you some structure in things and and a an anchor in life away from everything else so i think it's very easy in a modern life to become overwhelmed by external concerns and worries be that family work friends um for a lot of people social media so actually having something that's yours and that you have control over is quite grounding. And of course, we, we know that exercise is hugely beneficial to mental health. And I think at the moment, particularly, being able to protect ourselves, our, our sense of self, and our self worth, and having something that makes us feel like we're achieving something when perhaps for, for many people at the moment, it may be really difficult to feel as if they've been satisfied with their output during a day just because simply their their old lives are unrecognisable now
0: yeah I think as you say everything's been turned on its head I think everyone where you know whatever it is whether it's the they've changed their work situation whether they're kind of now working from home whether things have become more difficult I think um if you have something like a a sport I think I often I mean, obviously we're the people that are gonna be listening to this are probably in the same boat. But I think some people that don't do sports sometimes wonder um why why we put all the effort into it, why we why we almost it looks like we're kind of sadistic that we like to um kind of put ourselves in that situation and create that level of discomfort out of um like voluntarily. Um but I think it gives you something to anchor to sometimes. Uh, we as I say the, the, the world feels very chaotic at the moment and i think i know personally i have felt sometimes what's the point in getting out there on a bike be- and training because i've kind of felt like well, what's the point in anything and i think if you keep thinking that um or kind of you know thinking well there are more important things actually it just makes everything worse and i think having that that's something to anchor to um be it training or be it any kind of Hobby or something that you enjoy, I think at the moment is is critical for our mental health. I'd have absolutely no disagreement
1: discre- yeah. g- with that at all, and and would absolutely stress that. Um, although it may look exceptionally unpleasant for people who aren't athletes, there is a, an inherent uh, lifting in mood and a sense of well-being that comes from nearly all sports. There are multiple studies which I'm sure you're familiar with that support this, um, and and I think it's also important to stress that. People don't have to be competitive athletes who are racing uh, at a moderate to high level to get those benefits. So this is some form of structure to exercise for anyone is beneficial. And I think uh, the the difficult thing is, as human nature goes is that the things that may appear to be the least importance in your day are actually the things that you probably should be doing. And they, they normally, for most people, resolve around revolve around self-care so it's the bit that people miss off first um and, and really it probably should be the bit that people miss off last if they're trying to fit other things in
0: yeah and i think the other the other thing about this as well that we find with the i think the kind of pandemic or how people have reacted is that it, there's a risk that you could um when it comes to exercise it's almost like you get um a, a double win in that often i find personally with exercises. By doing exercise, I feel better about myself. Um, I eat better. Um, I don't feel the the need to kind of. Um, well, like a lot of people, you know, you sit down maybe in an evening and you feel terrible. You, you know, a lot of people often they they gravitate towards the fridge or whatever, whatever's around. Um, and I think that's a normal behaviour because I think that's a, a a thing that they can get a relatively instant gratification from and control. And I always find that the exercise or doing exercise and, and feeling like i'm I'm a kind of athlete in training keeps that at bay in a way that I know is is probably detrimental to me um so therefore I kind of win twice, and I find that when i I don't do a sport or I don't do a exercise and activity and feel good and healthy about myself it it almost then promotes that so it's i lose as I say, I kind of almost go completely the other way if that makes sense
1: well it makes complete
0: sense. From the field of psychology we know that if human beings are bored and
1: don't have purpose um, they will seek something to fill that and for most people if there isn't direction that's usually something destructive so you know, there's great evidence about people becoming addicted to all sorts of substances um you know addicted to to things that aren't healthy not necessarily drugs um food uh social activities that perhaps aren't good for them uh, so The purpose, I think, of things like structured exercise is to fill that gap in a productive way. Um, It appears to be a base human need to have something to feel like you're being useful and being productive and progressing. Uh, And in the absence of some other things, it would make complete sense that, given all the benefits that you get from it, that some form of structured exercise, whatever that is, is something that probably should be the default for most people to fill that gap
0: yeah i i agree i think i think that's where having um i mean obviously we we're talking from a perspective of um we've both you know we both uh, have trained and done various sports and things for for a significant period of time so i guess for for us um you know changes in situations for instance like um Having to then suddenly, you know, not be able to to go out, not be able to go to gyms and things, is relatively easy because most of us, if we're cyclists, have a, a situation like a, a turbo train or something that we can then shift our train to doing, um, as I say, something different. I think the the concern is people that maybe have have um, anchored their training or their their health or what they do to things like gyms, and then that's suddenly been taken away. Um, but I think on the good side, a lot of people seem to have then reacted with, right, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it outside. I'm going to take up running. I'm going to take up something that I can do relatively easily from home. And a lot of people, I, I think I read an article the other day about the amount of people that are that are no longer using gyms. And there's actually a concern that when things do reopen, that, that gyms particularly may really suffer because of all the people that have realized that they actually don't need to rely on a gym to get them to exercise. Actually, have found an enjoyable way of doing it at home, or, or you know, out and about, and actually, have far you know enjoyed being out and about, and out, you know, the fresh air far more than than kind of um, running you know on a treadmill or doing something inside.
1: Well, exercise and well being from it it can be found in pretty much any situation. You know, I think there's um, certainly my memories of being in very dusty, sandy places with. Uh, rudimentary exercise equipment or exercising facilities uh, were just as good as some of the things that I've done in the most um, kitted out environments I I could be in either with turbo trainers or gyms. Um, There's probably also a comment to be made about what people get out of exercise and and sort of tribal identity so I think for a lot of us who do sports there is a a tribal identity about what that is so I'm a crossfitter or a cyclist or I'm a footballer or I'm a, a gym goer and I think there was a, a challenge as the pandemic hit and sports teams started to fragment and those environments changed where, uh, you know, that loss of identity was was difficult for a lot of people. And I think what you're describing is the discovery that maybe it wasn't so much the identity that was the most important thing about it all. It was just the fact that someone was doing something that made them feel better. And actually that that identity is transferable. So... Um it, it's, not, it's not necessarily a barrier to people enjoying exercise to, to not have those things that they had before.
0: No, I agree. So if we could come to, obviously, we'll use your, your kind of situation as an example. Someone who has um, probably, so how many, how many seasons, um, how many years have you been time trialing for? So I've been racing for seven years now. Um, so
1: okay. uh, certainly it's a, a good regional level. Um, at, at the point where you know i could hold my own against people who are fairly quick um so that would equate to in terms of a normal a normal training week for me that uh, at, at one point when I was doing sort of ultra distances 12 hour type things that would have been probably 12 to 14 hours a week but with family and work that was cut down to to eight hours a week and and now um, there possibly needs to be even more flex for me in terms of what I fit in in the week because uh, all the time that you have at the moment is quite precious because there's lots of things to, to squeeze in. So even though there any, that's only a small portion of the week, um, it's it's how do you do it? Because as you know, if, you, if you're doing an outdoor sport or even possibly an indoor sport, it's not just about the time you spend doing it. It's getting things ready, getting sorted, getting showered, going out, cleaning, etc. cetera. So um, now I find myself at a point where trying to keep that going is um, it's, a, it's a challenge and trying to look at what things are available for the for the average cyclist or, or athlete or you know someone like me to, to facilitate that
0: so I think to my mind one of the one of the key elements is obviously this idea that if you've I mean as most athletes have done over if they've been competing for um, for at least a few years, is that they tend to obviously anchor things around this idea that they'll be racing and that we have a race season. So, that obviously, in most situations, that's something that, that people look forward to. Um, they have ideas about what they want to try and achieve, whether it's uh, specific to doing certain races, whether it's um, obviously with cycling, we've got kind of things like times. Um, on particular courses and power goals and those sort of things. But there generally is that that anchor and that idea that we are working towards that. So when we go into the the kind of off-season, so to speak, um, there is something we are working towards. And whether we set it out as a, a formal thing, that we are doing this session and this session and this session that's gradually leading up to that, It's whether that's formal or whether it's just in the back of our minds, we know that we're leading towards something, that we're training towards something. Because... Unfortunately, I think when we are, if you have trained for a significant period of time, you're now at a point where we, you know that your the level of training you're probably doing is beyond what you would consider a, a basic requirement for health. So therefore, there is a there is that kind of bigger target. And I think we're in this position now, as we mentioned, is that we don't know whether there's going to be a race season. And if there is, it's potentially not going to look the same And be the same as what we normally would be. So, at the moment, how do you feel in terms of your kind of levels of motivation, considering there may not be that race season this year?
1: But I mean, there's been a huge drop. I mean, I could I sense that in 2020. Obviously, I had my head on other things as well. But um, I think in 2019, for the time trial season, which is ish March to September, I think I was averaging. You know, at least one race a week um, as it was as it was, we got going, really. So, compare that to, to now where there's nothing, uh, and I think for competitive athletes, that's uh, that's a huge drive. So, you know, I found myself at the tail end of, of 2020 season just thinking, like many people, what's the point? Um, and I, in fact, I just gave up on my last few races and didn't, and didn't go to them at all because it just seemed fruitless. There was no a, a, there was no guarantee that they were going to happen. Um, B, you know, the time commitment to train for them properly. Uh, I I'd struggled mentally to balance that for myself at the moment. I think probably in a better place um, now as we get further into this. Um, but you know, it's it's also about uh, risk and benefits as well. So um, what I mean by that is, how much do you want to go to a, a large? events or large-ish events um, relative to the risk that you take in day-to-day when we're in the middle of a pandemic. So um, being a, a working doctor and seeing what was happening, I, I was having a real struggle to look at those events and say, do you know what, even though it's, I'm being told I can do this, should I do this? It was the question. So now we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, being honest, looking ahead to this year, i think even with a fair wind in our sails can we can we envisage a return to normality anytime soon not really so that as you say brings you back to the question what 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 are we training for because um it, it, i wasn't training just for health there was a clear goal um, and now it's it's how do, how do you keep that fitness ticking over and that satisfaction when actually like for most people, it's, it's really quite um, a despondent situation when you find that taken away, but trying to rediscover that and um, restructure and, uh, you know, regain that enthusiasm has been, you know, an an undertaking to say the least.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you make, I mean, you made a point there about obviously if you went to an event. So it's quite interesting when this all kicked off, um, one of the recommendations that I was trying to give actors as much as I could both to my athletes, but also in general, was we are at a situation where there is a virus spreading that particularly seems to have a significant period where you can have the virus and be relatively asymptomatic. So my advice was to basically cut all high-intensity training. The rationale being that we still don't fully understand the impact of high-intensity training on um, the immune system. And what I kind of felt was particularly as it be- was becoming clear, there probably wouldn't be anything to race for, which is what ended up happening, really. What was the point in kind of risking having a dropped immune system picking up the virus? And then potentially, we, we already know there are obviously significant cases now we're seeing of um, of various um, kind of cardiomyopathies and affecting the heart, um, in particularly in athletes that have had um, COVID-19. So we know it does affect the heart. So I, and I think the issue with that sometimes, particularly around the, um, the immune system and, uh, and regards to exercise, is the studies that have been done in the past often were focused on um, the impact of things like um, large event kind of marathons. And they believed that they, there was an increase in infection rate after that, partly, or well, they believed due to the drop in immune system. But I think it was actually a combination of lots of people coming together at the same time as a reduction in the immune system due to the actual event itself. And I th- so I think the idea of um, going to a mass event with a risk of picking this virus up is like a double lose. You know, you, you could potentially pick up a virus that you wouldn't want anyway, at the same time as having just done something or doing something that could significantly impact the immune system. So I think it was definitely something to potentially be avoided in, in the, well, currently what we're, the, the situation that we're at. But I think um, the way that I've thought about it is that in terms of the, the kind of motivation, I think um, is, is there needs to be some kind of uh, reframing of what, your, what, the, what the kind of goal is, Whether it, and, and there's different options. So the way I think about it is that you've got options such as, I know some people who are now shifting their mindset to having a uh, a kind of two-year preparation, shall we say. So as you, as you mentioned, this kind of elongated, ridiculously elongated off-season. The issue, I guess, for that, for someone who's doing maybe time trials and shorter events is, well, how much preparation off-season you, you need I mean you can definitely there's always been an argument for something like an Ironman you know there was a, a coach called Gordo Byrne who was um, used to be quite famous in the kind of early Ironman years and his, his methodology generally with his athletes was on a they were on a two-year plan to do an Ironman because he always felt that they if people tried to do it the preparation over a year they they rushed it they ended up not really enjoying it because of the pressure they didn't build the kind of aerobic um, base and and kind of um, that that general ability that they needed to, and that actually elongating it over a period of two years meant they they got all that preparation, they could relax um, and often if they were motivated continually and coached they they did okay. I think sometimes there was a it, two years felt too long. Um, and people lost motivation if they were left to their own devices. Um, I guess the other options is, is whether there's a way of using things like um, like Zwift as a good example, or kind of online racing, to, um, to kind of replicate some form of race season, um, some form of kind of goal, whether it's um, in terms of actual kind of events or performance, or whether it's using power or other metrics to, to to have a goal um so have you had any thoughts about what you kind of think might work well for you
1: um, yes and also apologies for sniffing during your uh <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought i thought i'd hit mute and clearly realized that i didn't midway through so apologies <laughs> um so i i think um race replication is is a really helpful way of uh, giving you some of those mental goals that you you aim for Um, one I suppose would argue that it potentially doesn't hit quite the same training targets uh, as your normal racing would do I think um, if anyone's actually been in a Zwift race uh, a lot of the things that you do in there don't really resemble what you would do in real life not 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 really just the uh, lack of road it's um, often a a frenetic start and, and sort of sustain bursts and so on. But I, I think in terms of what, what I really wanted to do was to try and capture away from um, potentially a coached environment at the moment, because it's, you know, it's a little bit difficult for um, for various reasons to say that coaching um, is something that I can sustain at the moment in terms of, you know, your input and output and how much you can uh, commit to it, then a structured program which is uh, guided towards potentially those events. So I think uh, I would be remiss to discount the importance of having um, any sort of goal for the year. But also, I think it's just critical that when we're not all just uh, turning pedals on, uh, talking about cycling specifically, turning pedals on a turbo trainer, sort of mindlessly bashing out uh, zone twos. I mean, I'm I'm not a qualified coach, um, and reading books about it is going to get me so far but I think having for most people having something to hold yourself to account to so in essence as you say sort of replicating a a, a bit of a season with some goals to aim for or, or events to train for but also having a, a bit more structure so I think a lot of people would find their structure in riding with clubs or riding with others or, so you know not everyone who's listening to this will have a a really formalised, structured plan that they would follow normally. But, of course, with the absolute demolition of, of all those sorts of activities, um, I think it's probably sensible, for and for me included, to have something that holds you to account a little bit. It's, it's like you said a little while ago that, you know, having having a motivation to actually throw your leg on a bike or go out running because there's something to aim for, or some, at least some plan to it, is is really important. And if you don't have that, you're just not likely to succeed, um, I, I don't think. It's it's a major difference. I mean, a, a good analogy for most people was would be, you know, the difference between uh, learning for an exam and just learning for, for the fun of it. Um, now, learning for the fun of it is going to be more enjoyable, I would imagine, uh, but can we honestly say that most people would be as committed to it as if they had, you know, a, a formal examination in a subject at the end of a, a time period. So I think there's got to be a mixture of some enjoyments, but also something to to actually hold you to account for your actions as well.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's interesting you actually say that because um, that used to be something I used to tell um, clients that I used, to, I used to see on the running side of things, particularly with the exercises that I would give them. I would often we'd set up a um, a relatively short turnaround of a, a follow up session with this idea, and I'd explain to them, and I'd use that analogy of that if I gave you a, a textbook and said, right, you need to learn some you know, this basically, and uh, at some point in the future you're going to be tested, right? Go away and learn it. They'd probably go home, put it on one side, do something else, and may may turn up, you know, open it up at some point. If you give them an actual timeline of you've got to come back in two weeks and you've got to prove that you've done this and I will know, they completely change how they approach it. As you say, they they will do it diligently because partly because they want to pass the exam and they kind of want to feel that they want um, not only to pass the exam, but in most cases they're coming back to see me and they kind of want to Im- not impress, probably the wrong word, but they want to sh- kind of show me that they can do it. And so I think having that accountability um, is really important, which is obviously what normally the, the kind of race season is around. You know, I I can speak some of this um, personally um, for me in that I've always struggled. I've always seemed to be a better trainer than I was a racer. I think that's partly because I chose a sport where, which is ridiculous in a way, because I'm a terrible, terrible swimmer. So I chose a sport doing triathlon where it takes me having to get through this horrible getting in freezing water and swimming and feeling dreadful to get to the bits I can actually do. And by the time I get to those bits that I can actually do, I generally feel so dreadful I can't do them properly anyway. Um, But I generally found as well on the cycling front that there was no real event for me because I I have a terrible aero position based on, I, I, I remember going to see, I spent a day with Dan Bingham. Um, when we were doing a bit of shoe design stuff, and so he, we, I just spent the day one uh, rolling around Derby Velodrome, and he, he was having a look at my um, my figures, and he was just he just looked at me and he said, because I got these ridiculously long legs, and he's just, he just he said you're you're fighting a massively losing battle because your legs are ridiculous, um, and I'd always kind of blamed it on that, but I, it was nice to have somebody that knows what they're talking about to to kind of confirm that, um, but as a result, I've always been better at training particularly power-wise, indoors on a turbo when I can sit up um, and put out long, hard, particularly tempo, threshold efforts, but always found it difficult to, to translate that outside. Um, and it was, I've gone through years or I've gone through time when I've, I've lost motivation because I'm not having something to anchor or to kind of prove that effort, prove that training. And I think, as I say, that's a, that is a, a usual situation for me, which is partly why I found enjoyment in doing Zwift racing, because it's removed the element that I was particularly bad at in that being out on the road and being in an aeroposition. I don't have to do anymore. Um, but I can gather, I can understand really how, how it'd be so, it'd be difficult for people that, that usually have a good um, and uh, kind of long race season and use that as a way of, of uh assessing their kind of training that side of things um, and and then kind of tie that motivation into um, their motivation to train to those goals so I think I mean as I say the the thing about uh, just to 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 go back and and just talk about the kind of Zwift example is that um, it's changed it has changed significantly I mean we chatted briefly before we started how um, I tried Zwift about a year ago and I tried a, a crit race, which was pretty much all they were then. There was not much racing on there, and it was all crits. So you either you know you put out four hundred watts for the first thirty seconds, and you get dropped if you're, you're not doing you know four hundred and fifty. And it was very demotivating as somebody that that um, doesn't really have that kind of engine. But in that interim period now, there are there's an expansive range of racing that is suited to all different types of riders. And there is a lot of time trialling on there now and and ways, obviously, of of kind of using that as a a goal. But actually, interestingly, I found it as quite an interesting tool um, to use to kind of assess my physiological weakness and then set about a kind of um, almost like a short term plan to address a physiological weakness. Does that make sense?
1: It it makes no
0: complete sense simply because
1: Swift has um, a good way of exposing the things you aren't good at because, you you know, you can't, you can't concentrate usually on just one particular thing. So, um, you know, being a time trialist, we're built in one particular way, which is to do essentially long steady efforts with the occasional little burst for hills and and the like. So uh, I find it quite interesting doing the old, Type swift with the crits and so on and and realizing that actually I was appalling at that sort of thing. Um I think also a bit of realism at the moment as well, which is saying that, you know, what else are we gonna do? So actually making the most of this year to to look at some of those shortcomings rather than being disappointed about them is really productive. Um that's a that's a much better way of reframing um, difficulties with online racing is saying that actually these are opportunities to to identify things that you aren't so good at really um take the time to make them make them better because you know, that's human nature isn't it we really concentrate on things that we're good at um you know so it's all very well and good me sitting banging out lots of sweet spot intervals which i can you know do to the cows come home but it's not such a bad thing to have to sort of dip into to zone six on Zwift races, because actually that's that's still really important as well. And of course, the, the, the base for all of this is actually enjoying what you're doing and having some motivating training. So I, th- I think mental reframing of what that is, is uh, particularly for athletes who are transitioning into um, away from, uh, sorry, I should say, from real life, quote unquote, competitive sports to uh, virtual sports, then that's a really important distinction to make is they are not like for like and the goals are not like for like either, but they can be uh, motivating and rewarding. Um, I think just on a on a slightly separate note, just picking up on something you, you said earlier, um, there is a small caveat to that, which is a lot of those things in terms of training will be quite challenging. And I think I would agree it's really very important to ensure that particularly when you know, you've, physiology is a stress from other things um you know not not just viral exposures but it's just so bloody hard at the moment that the risk of overtraining and burnout is quite significant so you know monitoring that in some way um either with someone remotely watching you so to speak or learning about things like hrv heart rate variability and so on i think that's really important for athletes at the moment if they're starting to stretch themselves under these conditions
0: yeah i i, I agree i think this is actually um, when, it, when you mentioned about that in terms of um, regard, to obviously those different kind of metrics that you can use. I find it quite interesting. Um, with so, if you are like to say to use kind of Swift as that that example, um, you can actually on the if you join if you if you join Swift and then you join Swift Power, which is a uh, for people that don't use Swift and don't use the racing side of things. It's the it's a, it was community set up and it's now been unfortunately acquired or or. or Taken over to Zwift, and they've done a—they've already done a really very bad job of monitor of keeping it up, um, which is quite frustrating because it was originally run by people in the community and and did an excellent job. And it brings together all the racing, so it's where all the racing lives. But what it also does is it has a record of your racing, and it has a record of your various efforts throughout the race, um, which is not only a fantastic way of seeing your different efforts for maybe. Um, anything from 20 minutes, five minutes, uh, one minute, 15 seconds um, to see your, your how your physiological kind of changes when maybe, I mean, in my situation, my initial situation with some of those races was I was losing the race on the, and I was being dropped at the point of my five minute power and often the one minute power at the top of the kind of climb um, in some of the shorter hills, not being enough to hold on with some of the other guys. So I was losing the wheels at that point. So that became something I could work on. But the other interesting thing you mentioned about that is that you can see your, um, your essentially your heart rate power ratio. And that's something that I've actually often used um, over the years as a rough monitor, because I find when you put enough data together, you can start to see, so for instance, if you do a race, if you do these races over and over again, I tend to find that when I'm relatively fresh, my ratio is about 2.3. When I'm really fresh and I often do very well in races, it, the ratio can go up to 2.4. When I'm feeling or well, my body is telling me that it's not really functioning, it tends to drop to about 2.1, quite a sudden drop. So I can use that and I, I've used that as a monitoring tool to keep myself in check, to explain sometimes when performance hasn't been as good and give them, I know, me to see that as a visual of when I need to rest. And I've also found that. And this is one one kind of plus for, for things like the sweet spot, uh, sorry, the polarized type training model over the kind of threshold sweet spot model, is I've often found for me personally and for people that I've coached that the polarized model, the high intensity efforts can be often quite self-limiting in that if you're feeling relatively beaten up, if, you're, if your body is telling you that it might need a bit of a rest, then often those particularly longer VO2 max type intervals tend to be quite hard to do and you should should see relatively quickly in a session that you're not going to be able to complete them and, and use that as a marker to stop. Whereas I've often found in the past that actually tempo and sweet spot work is often still, you're still capable of doing it even when you are already a little bit burnt out. And then it becomes this situation where it might be too late and that you then, kind of go into that, as I say, extended potentially beyond overreaching and towards overtraining. And I think this is where part of the argument for polarised training over threshold comes from. I think threshold work and sweet spot work can be extremely productive and beneficial, particularly in athletes that are concentrating on things like time trialling or triathlon, where it's obviously um, race performance is dictated to by that steady state effort. But it takes a bit more monitoring. Whereas as I say I find that the polarized model, partly being simple from a perspective of either go very easy or very hard, the very hard bit tends to be a little bit more self-limiting when the body's not really up to it. Often you can complete the shorter intervals, and we kind of know roughly there seems to be a reason why you still can get your um, kind of you can develop the, you can still complete the kind of neuro, your kind of neuromuscular type short. Um, maybe 10, 20 second intervals, but it becomes very difficult when you're fatigued to complete those three, four, five minute efforts. So you tend to have to either reduce the intensity or potentially stop the session. So that's where that kind of benefit of switching to a slightly more polarized regime can often help. Um, the caveat that obviously at the moment is that doesn't consider what we said before. And that I was if, if I had been exposed to a virus like this, and I didn't know whether, I, you know, if I was still asymptomatic and I had it, I think one of the worst things I could potentially do would be sustaining a high heart rate in something like a VO2 max interval. But unfortunately, as we know, is that that's a risk that we are having to balance because we we just don't know unless we always are kind of assessing, but because we can potentially pick this up from anywhere, supermarket anything I think if we if we start thinking well I can't do any intense training at all because I may have picked it up then I think we'll end up doing doing none I think for most people
1: yeah it, it is always a risk uh, balance but you know we, we also have readily available tools that if people start to think about this and I, it's not I don't think it's that people don't understand how to monitor I think the the difference is that perhaps they just don't think about it um, you know the number of people who must wear a heart rate monitor for everything that they do. I don't know if they do go away and examine what their heart rate was at various different levels during their training. Probably not that many, I imagine, um, in the grand scheme of things, unless they have a sort of coach leaning in. And so it, it is at the fingertips of most people. And I think also this is um, this is just a general thought about keep maintaining your own health in these sorts of circumstances and times is that you know I've, I've for example had an interesting week this week so i had my um Pfizer vaccine last Sunday um and despite actually feeling i, was, I felt pretty fine i haven't really had any sort of physical side effects bar a bit of fatigue um w- watching my heart rate do all sorts of funky things this week was a good um reminder that i i probably should back off the training so as you say um if i'd have been in that polarized training model this week and gone ahead with it um as as intended i probably would have been in a bit of a a state today and that was an early warning to to not do that apart from of course just the sensations that you'd have while you're training um so there's 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 ways around some of the restrictions that we, we face and i guess the balance about um training is is such that we know full well that if people are unfit and there because we're obviously we're making the assumption that most people are going to be listening to this trained athletes but not everyone will be if people are unfit um you know they're going to be more vulnerable to um, viral complications at the moment so actually anything that you are doing and it is going to be beneficial but that's where some of the risks about accidental overstretch and overtraining are going to come in and potentially even for trained athletes who are just a bit bored really and, and view um just going back to our Zwift races, a bit of a thrash fest several times a week is quite tempting. So, you know, that's the the old uh, adage for Zwift, isn't it? So you'd set out on what you think is going to be a nice ride around the hills and it ends up being an absolute balls to the wall blast trying to get past all the people mm-hmm. that you've encountered on the ride. So there, there has to be caution about all of this because... Um, you know, physiologically, we aren't just our legs and lungs and hearts. Actually, you know, the, the central nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, is, is plumbed into everything. So, if we've had a difficult week, we've had um, difficulties at work. You know, there's been stress. There's been lack of sleep, fatigue. Um, it, it's very, very easy to get into that state, as I'm, sh- I'm sure you know.
0: Yeah, I think I think that is the. The probably the big downside um, to the Zwift racing, in that um, it's perpetual. I think this is something you understand. So when I, I kind of got into it a little bit, one of the things I I, I remember being a, in a situation where um, there was a race I really liked to do, and it was, um, it was about 8.30 on a Wednesday morning, and I tend to drop my son off at nursery. And I remember one time being... It was a massive stress because we, everything... He'd, he'd gotten up late. We're trying to get into it. And I, this huge stress to get him to nursery, get back home, get on the turbo, get into this race. And then it kind of dawned on me, I mean, a few weeks later, how this race happened every Wednesday. Pretty much the same people showed up. Everything always happens. And every week it's the same. And you start to realise that actually... It's all. It's not like, it's say, a, like a race season where you've got those targeted races that aren't as often. This is happening all the time, and it kind of goes both ways. It drags you into this. Um, you know, pe- there are people that are racing on Zwift almost every day, and potentially at the wrong time of year, as much as anything else. So, at the end of the day, I, I, something I am quite interested in is the kind of circadian biology and and how the how humans we potentially are. We've almost we you know we we're meant to be slightly different throughout the seasons in that we are potentially, you know, with the darkness sleep supposed to sleep a little more in the winter, a little bit more restful, maybe, a little and a little bit more um kind of productive and sleeping slightly less in the in the kind of summer months. So it's been it's a it's a theory that's kind of got, you know, there's lots of people on either side about whether that's actually true, about whether we would have had this this kind of variation throughout the year. But I kind of feel like, you know, hammering yourself particularly long into the potentially evenings. I know I I was racing for a team for a little bit and it didn't really work for me because I I tend to like racing in the morning because I race in, uh, you know, relatively early issue in the day. I then get on with my day, but also I I tend to, it doesn't affect my sleep. I find that if I train in the evening, particularly if it's quite intense, you know, after about six o'clock, I can't sleep. I just come and I, I feel like then that's completely ruined any maybe health benefits and p- probably made things a lot worse if I, if it affects my sleep. Um, so that's the other, the kind of downsides that it'd be great if Swift almost on this racing kind of almost had a, a more kind of, you know, things changed as you came into a race season that so that people could have this kind of build up and towards a, a main target, because the issue is, is if you are going to start using that as a replacement, is when do you start because essentially the races are every half hour <laughs> so it's like we could start whenever and i think that's that that is definitely the downside is it's not going to replace it in the same way unless you you kind of use that as a, as a kind of tool so for instance if you decided that that was some that was a kind of route you wanted to go down it might be a case of um trying to use do, doing a range of different races um over a maybe a few week period do different types of racing, whether it is a short crit, you have to kind of regenerate that neuromuscular power where you're spending, you're doing very little um, coasting along in the group and then suddenly big sprints at various points and at the end versus the kind of racing that I like to do, which tends to be the the hillier races, which tend to have a a four or five minute um, almost full-out effort that you have to hold on for and then often have a short rest and then a sprint at the end and those kind of things or the like the race I did this afternoon which was um, two long climbs a 15 20 minute continuous effort up the epic climb and then a, a 40 minute effort up the um, the alp course using that as a as a way of um, viewing it as either training or using it away as a as a de- identifying a weakness in your physiological makeup so for me personally it was a i had a much higher 20 minute power um, and sustained effort and a 60 minute power than my relative five minute one as a good example. Because I've designed it that way, in that my you know, I've I've trained that way because that's what I want to compete in. But as I'm not going to be competing in time trialing or triathlon, maybe it's an opportunity to experiment with whether changing my shifting my complete training focus to trying to solely increase the five minute power or my kind of VO2 max type effort, whether that then sets me up or a diff, kind of on a different platform to then after this is all you know maybe after the summer and potentially thinking about you know the next year in 2022 to move back into kind of sweet spot threshold and that side of things and whether I then will be on a, a higher level as a result of kind of breaking through a plateau that might have existed because I never did the higher intensity and shorter training for a, for a significant duration if that makes sense.
1: Well, I think that's one of the best ways that people could use this time at the moment, which is it is an opportunity to to polish up the bits that you wouldn't normally polish up because I think for most people, um, like you say, VOC Max for a, an endurance athlete is a really good one. So, you know, it's something that most people would see a bit in a training programme, but you're clearly not going to spend a, a large portion of time when you're actually aiming towards r- races um, in your, your pre-season build-up doing that. So, But actually, given the year's pretty much going to be a write-off for for most people there's no reason not to and of course that's going to be beneficial for your overall health doing training full stop but actually as we we move back into normality there's been a great opportunity to to um, become a better all-round racer or athlete Um, it's, it's not such a bad thing provided people view this in the right way like like most things in life it's about framing things in different ways and um, you know, now now I'm over the crushing disappointment of the race seasons being obliterated. So there are other things that can be achieved with it. Um, and I think, like you said about things like Swift, there are a, a tool within the tool set, not the whole thing. So it'd be very, very easy, as you said about some people, to just get completely lost in, in racing on there. And I guess if that's your thing and that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if people are actually aiming to return to other things at the end of all of this um just having race after race after race with no other structure or no other plan is probably going to be detrimental to their training overall well not probably it is going to be detrimental to their overall training and return to to normal racing once we once we see the world um awake from its enforced slumber
0: yeah so for you personally, Dave, is that something like kind of having this like this idea of doing this kind of short term plan of, of finding a weakness and addressing it? Is that something you might be interested in having a go at? I, I think that's
1: where I, I need to go to, to do something at the moment. Um it's it would be it would be soul destroying to, to just plow on doing um, you know, endurance work for the foreseeable future, you know, the next year with you know, sporadic, um, sporadic virtual races as satisfying as they are. Um, I think me, like many other athletes needs a, a clear goal of development. I think development's really important for most of us. I mean, um, you know, even if you're some, whatever type of racing you do, there's always development. So even if it's, you know, you're dead last one year and you want to be Second from last the next year, it's a development an improvement and I think self-improvement within sports um, and exercises is a really big thing. The, the great thing about it of course for all of us is it's all relative so it doesn't particularly matter if I'm an Olympic standard athlete now, I'm not by the way but um, or I'm an absolute beginner so that that development is something um, that keeps you going forward isn't it? It's a bit like you know the, the reward you get from candy crush or similar. So there is a, there is a dopamine reward from improvement, isn't there? But that's partly why I say about the dangers to a degree of things like Swift. again, fine. If it's your thing and that's all you want to do is, is just race on there. Um, if you've actually got other goals, you could get lost in the reward of the races and actually completely um, lose track of what goals you may have in the real world.
0: Yes, definitely. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, set you a bit of a goal of something to do. So okay. what I would like you to do is over the next, well, it can do it in, in kind of the time frame that, that suits you best, but let's say over the next month, um, I'd like you to have a go at some Zuf racing, um, a range of different races. I'll send you kind of what I, or kind of rough races and things. I, I kind of want you to have a go at all the different types of racing. So luckily it's, it's kind of courses and things that are on all the time. Um, so it's a, sec- a selection of races that would go from something like a crit that would test that sprint and that neuromuscular power to something like the, um, there's a the volcano um, kind of com races that tend to have a volcano uh, climb is uh, normally about six, six-ish minutes, um, or the, the London course that has the kind of box hill, I think it is, that's about five and a half to six minutes, um, that will really test your ability to hold a kind of high VO2 max power. Um and then there's a few other races, as I say, like the, the ones that go up up the Epic Climb, which is about 15 minutes, that kind of test that threshold effort, or the ones that go up Alduez, that's about 40 minutes uh, for someone like you, I think. Um and then you've got the Top and the, the Von Two courses that tend to be about an hour of, of effort up the full kind of Mon Von simulation. And I think that'll be good to to have a few go at those races and basically just see what happens um use it as an opportunity to um to to show your kind of physiological um limits so to speak and then we'll kind of reconvene with that and and dissect it should we say um see where things are see what your kind of where you know what your physiological makeup is see where those 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 might lie because I think this is I mean this is something that at the end of the day is nothing new if you if you um, listen to someone like Andrew Coggan as a good example and read Training and Racing with a Power Meter every person that reads that book and every person that that um, that is advised when they have a power meter is to do power profiling and I can pretty much guarantee that almost every person I've ever met never does power profiling because it seems incredibly scary but also the idea of, of someone having to do a full all-out one-minute effort full all-out five-minute effort 20-minute effort and all these and you know potentially up to an hour effort is is daunting but often doesn't actually potentially produce their absolute best and that is the one thing about swift racing and if you pretend it's real like your life depends on it it is remarkable the level of effort that you can achieve that is close to your absolute maximal ability Um, in a way I mean I find that personally as someone that has often struggled to put out the efforts that I probably could do, particularly in training because of motivation, I found chasing that person down on that screen in front of me ridiculously motivating for some unknown reason. And it enabled me to actually see where the physiological weaknesses that I suspected were there, but I'd probably never proven if that makes some sense. Yeah. I think so does that sound, yeah.
1: Just brilliant. That's um, a gamification of the thing that everyone hates. So, um, on a large platform that uh, is readily available to most people, I think this sounds like a really, really good experiment. And I think it's a really good way yeah. of doing um,
0: So, that yeah. Doing it. You, yeah, you've just used a perfect word that at the end of the day, this is all experiments. Like every part of life is experiments. I watch my son now, who's a, a toddler, um, you know, two and a half year old, that is experimenting with, with the world. Everything he does is a little experiment. If he throws that fork there, what happens to it? Does it bounce back? Does it hit mummy? Um, does mummy get angry? Does that mean that it's funny? And all these various other experiments that he's constantly um playing out. And at the end of the day, even adults, we are, you know, we are experimenting with the world all the time. And I think in order to optimize us and our enjoyment, I think, and I know you know every scientist will know that this, you know, that that is all about experiments, but I think most people wouldn't really think that this was That that what's about you know everything is an experiment, treating it like a, as I say, like a right. We're going to go out and see what actually happens, and then dissect it in a way that is um, I can potentially then look at it and and find these these weaknesses and something to work on. I think is is fascinating. As you say, it's perfect for the kind of dopamine hit of achieving something. Should we say?
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, it sounds considerably more appealing than sitting on a computer trainer, staring at a wall,
0: trying to do the same. Yes, I agree. So, I think we'll leave it there as that is the the current plan. I think we'll, um, I kind of, I'll send you the the kind of rough list of just so you so you know, kind of you have an idea of what I'm after. You have a go, see how you get on. You can obviously have a few, you know, have a few goes, and then we'll reconvene. And we'll talk through, we'll bring up your, um, you kind of, if you join, if you, if you're not already a member of kind of Zwift Power, so we can see those metrics and how you've done. And then we will, uh, if it's okay with you, dissect them, um, expose some of those weaknesses. And then from there we can discuss if we've got those weaknesses, what the kind of training sessions that can, you you know, essentially work on them with a view to then periodically racing again, either Using it as a potentially right on a Saturday, there's this race. Every Saturday, if you're available, you do that race to see if whether that weakness changes or whether it's a case of training over a period of, say, a month or two at a, you know, using the training um, options that we've got and then retesting in the race the same races that will be exactly the same, I can promise you, in about two months' time. Because, um, and then using that to, to see where we go. Fantastic. That sounds a lot of fun. Thanks. Good. No problem at all. Well, um, as I say, thank you for for coming on. And obviously, hopefully, we'll be able to to keep track of this. Hopefully, people listening at home maybe see that as an option. If you do want to have a go at that, feel free to kind of comment on things and provide or link to your Zwift Power and see whether we can get a few people doing this, having the same idea, because it would be good to to kind of... Because obviously, everyone is a bit different. So it might be that certain people have completely different physiological makeups. So it would be good to kind of generate discussion around what might work for one person, what, what that person needs and that side of things, so that we can use these, these tools to um, to try and essentially make physiological improvement and improving ourselves a bit more fun. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave. I thought there were some really good insights there, particularly when we were discussing around things like immunity and around risk and reward. That is something we've got to consider, even if we end up with a race season, something to resemble a race season, you have to consider really whether the or what the logic is with going and doing a race or something that is relatively exhaustive effort that could potentially drop your immune system. And combining that with mixing with lots of random people, particularly random people from Um, other parts of the country. What you've got to remember when it comes to this pandemic and regards to risk is that just because you're doing all the things that are right doesn't mean that other people are. And that is the thing to kind of bear in mind is that at the end of the day, the ability or the, the risk of contracting this is as much down to other people as it is to you. Unfortunately, we have kind of ended up in a bit of a problem that is we need to come together as a collective and try and work together to help protect each other. And unfortunately, I think we're at the stage now where the kind of human selfish side and the protect one's own by themselves and their people close around them sort of is meaning now that we are not thinking as much about other people as we probably should. So I'd just like to kind of end this really um, and give out those uh, the races that I recommended for Dave to do that uh, we want to kind of address or uh, revisit in about a month's time. And I'll go through the, the kind of rationale behind doing this, but also the, the races that I chose or the races that I recommended that Dave um, had a go at. So race one, I wanted him to do a crit race on Zwift that is a pure sprint. So, if you've ever done a crit race on Zwift, they, they tend to fit a very um, similar format each time, particularly if they're on a flat or slightly rolling course. The start is all out, almost. It is often a, let's say in the A race, it tends to be a 400, 450 watt effort to keep you in the group initially. No one is quite sure why this has happened. But it's the way that it is now and unfortunately it means that everyone else has to do it as well. Whether there was this idea initially of trying to drop some riders, which does tend to happen still quite a lot, often there are people that are essentially almost left in the pen because they don't know this is going to happen. They suddenly get dropped and that's it, they can't you know, there's a what's called the blob effect in Zwift, in that the draft of the group is extremely strong, which means that it's you if you miss that group, then you are pretty much not gonna catch back on. That's kind of how it works, unfortunately. So I want Dave to have a go at this, um, a pure sprint race, which will essentially be for someone like him. It'll be ticking away in the group at about maybe 250 watts for the length of the race that might be 20 minutes to half an hour long. And then a full on sprint at the end, which may go anything between a kind of minute effort down to really focusing on the kind of 15 seconds to five seconds neuromuscular yeah, kind of full on out of the saddle as much power as you can generate for that relatively short period of time this will give us an idea of his essentially his um, top end kind of anaerobic capacity now this is probably the furthest thing away from what dave is going to be wanting to do in terms of his general training and what he normally focuses on he'll see he's a time trialist and so therefore a very short sprint is pretty much the exact thing he doesn't need it's just to Put that in the bank, know, know kind of roughly where it is so we can start profiling him. In the next race is going to be, I've, I've recommended that he does the Innsbrucking course, just as a specific course to do, again, a flat race or, I say, this a kind of a more sprint orientated race. However, the Innsbrucking course or Innsbruck on Swift has a hill in the middle of it that's about 45 seconds long. It tends to be that whether you're doing two laps, three laps, four laps or more laps on this course, that every time that hill is hit, it is a full on 45 second effort that is pretty much you 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 really can't afford to go any less than kind of full gas on each of those 45 second efforts. Because that's what the group will do. And if you don't do it, you get dropped and that's your race over. So I want to use this as a method of testing that 45 seconds to a kind of minute effort of of Dave's physiology. Race number three is I want him to have a go at one of the the London Hilly Loop which tends to be on a Friday at midday or um, lap one uh, or the one lap version of the whole lot of Lava course. They are both um, around 20 to 30 minutes and they both contain one significant hill of about a five to six minute effort for the A race at the front. This is a real test of your, your max ability or your, essentially your VO2 max ability of that duration and say so gives us an idea of how his VO2 max relates to things like his uh, essentially his MLSS or his maximal lactate steady state which is what we'll look at later. Race number four that I wanted him to go at was essentially a two six minute VO2 effort. So either the whole lot of lava course when it's done as a two lap or potentially rarely some of the London course or the London course is sometimes done twice. So that is far more infrequent. So I've recommended that he has a go at the, the whole lot of lava two lap course that tends to happen on a Tuesday morning is a good example. That will give us an idea of his VO2 max repeatability the problem with that course um, or that race is that you have to really if you're going to test this you have to sit at the front because what you'll find is that the first lap tends to be just below that that effort so for me for instance on the last time I did this i think we did about 3 or i did about 380 to 390 watts for the first lap and about 420 for the second lap so you can see obviously it's not too full out for kind of all out efforts but it is a good demonstration of your ability to do those kind of efforts. And then you have a maybe 10 minute at the most, maybe five to 10 minutes of break in between the two. And then you have another go. So number five, the last race, I've recommended that he has a go at something like the Alp race, which is often on the weekends, the kind of com races or the road to sky. This is a fantastic FTP test. For most people, it'll, end, it'll last anywhere between 40 minutes and an hour. And it is literally at your kind of maximal lactate steady state. You have to uh, ramp to that exact kind of wattage relatively early because that's what the group or the people around you will do. And you have to hold that for, say, about 40 to 50 minutes. So if you want a VO2 max test, then the ALP is a perfect way of doing that. And these ALP races on the weekend are a great way of having a go at that. So those are the, the set of tests. Now, why have I asked Dave to have a go at this? There is two reasons. Obviously, then one of the main reasons was to give Dave something to do because he's obviously in a situation where motivation is potentially lacking a little bit because of the situation, everything that's going on at the moment. So it gives us an idea of, well, let's pick out something that you're maybe not as good at, um, train it and see whether we can improve it. The other more um, subtle kind of side of this is whether, and this is an idea of of uh, that's, that a few people have proposed, and it's coming through th- something called WKO, which is the uh, power kind of software that is um, connected to things like Training Peaks. Is whether this idea of that you have gaps in your physiological makeup, and that your best performance overall, or your best ability to put yourself together as as a complete athlete, but also to do the best in almost all sports that are aerobic is to fill in those gaps. So, for instance, anywhere between, let's say, five minutes and a few hours, you want to have a power duration that is resembling the kind of critical power curve and that you're not dropping in particular places. It's not that you suddenly drop off, um, the curve drops off dramatically. Or, or conversely, if you're someone like me, I'm a good example of someone I describe as a more diesel engine. My 60-minute power and my two-hour power is almost out of proportionally high compared to, say, my five-minute power. This has meant that I've actually gone through this, this, or I'm going through this at the moment. I'm trying to work on things like my five-minute effort, my Watt Prime, my VO2 max, partly to see whether I can become the more complete athlete, but also to see whether those elements are a way of um, completing this makeup of power duration that essentially raises everything up. So if you've heard the, the, the saying that a rising tide uh, raises all ships, this is the, the, the general idea in that if we have these holes, those holes will expose us at some point. We won't know about it necessarily. We won't know that this is going on. But if they become limiters within our physiology, within our training, that the, the training may not. So, for instance, a VO2max is a great example. If you're doing a long-distance event, you're not going to be actually anywhere near VO2max. But if your VO2 max is is higher, your oxygen carrying capacity, your ability to, to carry the oxygen to the cells and aerobically respire, and the maximal ability of doing that is higher, does that improve your ability at lower intensities or lower fractions of that? That is the question. And it is not... Certain by any stretch. So that's kind of what we're doing now. We're going to try and test that with this. We want to use this as an idea of saying, right? Well, Dave, you have you're a time trialist. You focused on 10, 20. You, know, you heard him mention in the interview how sweet spot, threshold, these kind of things that often time trialists will always gravitate towards because they provide the race type stimulus that they believe improves the actual race uh, result. But maybe there's something missing. Maybe if Dave increases his VO2 max, his short duration efforts, that will not only have an effect in terms of deep down to the cell into that physiology, but it also may raise his ability to hold um, his MLSS for um, longer, which may be beneficial both for obviously longer races but also in terms of training and actually may raise the power output that he can hold that maximum lactate steady state which will increase his power duration for the races that he's doing from 10 mile time trials of 20 minutes up to 50 minutes to an hour for a 25 mile time trial or even something even a little longer that he mentioned. So that's the the rationale behind this. So have a go. Have a look at some of those races. They give you an idea of what you can expect. There are other races. This was just a set of options that I went through. And there are other platforms. However, I like these because the way that these races tend to work is they allow you to put in those efforts. Other platforms, for instance, I know people are using now RGT um, as another platform. They tend to be more like real-life racing. Therefore, there tends to be more variation, which is more like real life. However, we're using this as a training method rather than trying to simulate what is road racing. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to make Dave a road racer. We're not trying to improve our road racing ability. We're trying to use these fictional road races to increase our physiology. And that's what it comes down to. The thing about Zwift is to make sure partly that you psychologically don't buy too much into it. You buy in enough to exact the training benefits from it but you don't buy into it too much partly because it's it's rife with cheating both weight cheating and parameter irregularities but also it can become a little bit of a black hole that you get sucked into if you start doing well people start questioning you it can sometimes feel there's pressure but also there's the side of you end up racing too often. You end up potentially doing too much in in a very short space of time, and that actually could really undo what you what you want to do in terms of your season. And we mentioned that with Dave. This isn't trying to use this as a replacement necessarily. Now it is a how can you use this um, to replace the the race season, which is essentially looking at March to September. So thank you once again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hopefully there is some good information in there. If there's anything else that you want to know in regards to the podcast, please ask, please tweet. And what I'll try and do is is remain receptive to that and try and um, give people or give you what you actually want to listen to. Also, if you have an interesting story, if you have something, if you have a problem, if you have a real, something you are trying to work out for yourself, what you're trying to do, work out yourself, and have something that'll be interesting and worth discussing on the show, much like we've discussed with Matt with regards to running, much like we're now discussing with Dave, then uh, send me a, a tweet or something, and hopefully we'll be able to get you on the show to discuss that problem and see whether we can help, but also whether that then may help other people that listen. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.